Did you uh, ever get a gift like this <laughs> at Christmas time? And uh, I, I, I did. In fact, this is mine. And uh, last year, Meredith got this for me. And I don't know if you ever got that gift that when you open it up, you think, what in the world? And uh, but I would just confess to you, it's been an unbelievable lifesaver I, because my children play soccer, two of them. And, and for whatever reason, soccer fields are consistently 15 to 20 degrees cooler than every other place in the city. That, that I can be in shorts in my front yard and Arctic winds are blowing at 21st and Garnett. And when, when you get out on that field, it just gets cold. And I, I just got to tell you, Today I'm realizing that this is awesome in church, but I, I did realize a few weeks ago how awesome this is on a soccer field. In fact, I've become the envy of all the other soccer parents that they're like walking up, well, where did you get that thing? And, and I'm like, I, I made it. And, uh, <laughs> but, but it is so warm, and it is actually such an unbelievable windbreaker. And I just discovered this thing right here today that you can cinch this up. I've tripped all over soccer fields with this thing. Wondering how you ladies walk in dresses because it was hanging all the way to the ground, but you can cinch it up, like gird up your loins, it's biblical, and, and walk around in this thing. And, and I, I just got to confess to you, just a couple of weeks ago, I realized because it was cold enough, the value of this gift. It's been sitting in my study at home for months and months and months and months and months. And, and a few weeks ago, I thought, this is awesome. And when I thought it was awesome, I felt like because I thought it was awesome that I could go ahead and confess to my wife that when I opened it, how ridiculous I thought it was. And now what a terrible gift it was. And I thought, she doesn't know me at all after 20-plus years, right? But, but now I realize what a great gift uh, this thing is, and, and we've all been there. In fact, I need somebody to come help me get out of this thing because it's way too warm uh, in here for this. Steve, come grab this thing if you would. That's the best I've ever got out of it, by the way. You would be clapping if you'd seen me try to get out of it before. But we've all been there, right, where we open this gift, and the first thing you say is, Wow right? This is a great gift. It's just, a, you know, it's what I always wanted. But, but what you're thinking is, who would buy this? And, and I, I can't believe someone got suckered into purchasing this thing. And, and I thought, you know, Meredith got it on the as seen on TV, you know, aisle at Target because she forgot about getting me a present. Or what. And, and when I saw it, I thought, this is terrible. But, but sometimes we end up saying things uh, that we don't actually believe or, or we don't really think. And that's true in all areas of life, not just in gift getting, right? I mean, there are things that we say that don't make any sense. I just give you a couple examples in the English vernacular that we say on a regular basis, right? We drive on the parkway and we park on the driveway. If you oversee a project, one thing you better never do is overlook something, right? And why do we call the guy that we give all our investment money to a broker? <laughs> the word broke in the middle of his time, right? And, 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 but, but how about a restroom? You ever gone in there to rest? Show of hands, Right? We, we, we don't go there to rest on a regular basis, two of you, and, and I know both of you. And, and, and so, but we, we, we don't do that, right? And we, I'll make it the shortest trip possible. I've confessed to you before, I've got these phobias about public restrooms, and, and I don't, I'm, I'm going to get counseling one day to figure out what that traces all the way back to, but, but I just don't like it. And, and I got all these rules that I want you to keep in a restroom. I don't want to have a conversation with you at the urinal. Never. Ever, never, right? That just is uncomfortable to me. I want you to look straight at the wall in front of you. In fact, I'd just be more comfortable if you just close your eyes. And, and, and the last thing I'm going to do is shake your hand in there. So I don't mean to offend you. I'm just not going to do it. And I just, you know, I, I made a PSA a year or so ago about this, and, and it hasn't helped 
in the restrooms that I go into. And ladies, I would just say to you again that 50% of the men, more than 50% of the men that you know and are married to and are friends with and, you know, bore as children, don't wash their hands. And, and it's just gross. And, and, and you guys that go in, and some of you just turn the water on and go like that, under that. You just got wet pee-pee on your hands and... and and I'm never shaking your hand. I just got to tell you. But, but you've never gone into the restroom and saw somebody lying there and thought, hey, man, what are you doing? He said, I'm resting. <laughs> said restroom, right? But we, we don't do that. Songs we sing, there's weird nuances to songs, especially at Christmas time. There, there are Christmas songs we sing, and they're just weird. But we go on and sing them anyways. How many of you on every campus, just show of hands, how many of you know the song, It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year, that song? Right? You know so. Have you ever stopped at that line that says, tell scary ghost stories? That's freaky, right? No, we don't gather around the, the fireplace or the Christmas tree and go, let's tell scary ghost stories. And if you do, it's the same two of you that rest in the restroom, right? And, and, and we have counselor available for you today. But what we believe, look, what we believe and what we say, they aren't always the same thing. And what we believe and what we do, they aren't always the same thing. Thing. But when it comes to what we say and what we believe, they really do need to line up. And what we say about ourselves and what God says about us, those two things, it's crucial that they line up. And what God says about us and what we say about ourselves, they for sure need to line up. Because you and I, in the culture we live in and are raised in, we have a tendency to see ourselves one way, and we have this image that is cultivated, cultivated by our world, and is cultivated by our own flesh, and it's cultivated by our own failed thinking. But God is asking the question today, do you see what I see? And when you look in the mirror, he's asking you the question, do you see what I see? And really, it takes a miracle sometimes for that to happen right? And, and for us to see ourselves the way that God sees us instead of the way that the world or the culture sees us. And what I'm talking about today, it's not natural. It's supernatural. That's what I'm referring to. In fact, I want you to write this phrase down. There are several that you're going to need to write down today. And so if you didn't bring something to write with, get your lipstick, mascara out, something, and, and write this down in some legible way so that you can look at this later, because I'm going to give you good, good, helpful truth today, okay? Not hurtful truth, but helpful truth. And this is the first statement I want you to write down. Believing God for the impossible involves seeing ourselves the way that God sees us. I'm going to say it again because there's a lot of truth packed into that sentence. That believing God for the impossible involves seeing ourselves the way that God sees us. And last week we started our Christmas series and with the whole idea of the impossible. And all month long we're believing God for the impossible and we're believing God for miraculous and we're believing God for miracles where the impossible becomes reality, right? And we started by saying last week that the favor of God is directly linked to faith in God. In other words, in order to have favor with God, we must first have faith in God. And faith in God is not just believing something about God. It's really better translated this way, faith on God, that we are placing our faith on God. And it's in God, not about God. It's believing in or on God through a relationship, an intimate relationship with Him. And what happens when we allow our idea of who we are to define us is, is detrimental to our walk 
and it's detrimental to our lives. And our idea of who we are is often based on the world's opinion of us and what culture has tried to say about us. But instead, we need to let God's idea define who we are. And in believing in God, it involves uh, resolving these two conflicting notions of what the world says and what God says. And, And how do we do that? Well, it involves the mind of Christ right? You and I need the mind of Christ, and it involves changing the way we think. This verse of Scripture, if you don't have it memorized, it's one you ought to memorize. In fact, just set a goal. By this time next week, you got this verse memorized. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, where Paul, uh, where the writer of Romans tells us this, okay? Whoever you believe that is today. Romans, Paul is telling us in this passage of Scripture, don't copy the behavior. Don't copy the behavior, but not just the behavior. We're not going to copy the customs of this world, but let God, which by the way, he's the one doing the action, right? Let God transform you. That's the word we get metamorphosis from. It's the picture of a worm becoming a butterfly. Let God transform you into what? A whole new person. Now, how will he do that? He will do that by changing the way you think. Okay, do you see the truth behind this scripture? We're not going to copy the customs or the behaviors of this world, but we're going to let God transform us into a new creature by changing the way we think. In other words, don't let actions or ideas or the world define you. and Instead, let what God sees in you define you. Let what God thinks about you define you as a child of God. And instead of staying in the old, right, the old ideas or the old patterns of life, instead of defining ourselves by our past, our past actions or past emotions or past beliefs, we need to make sure that you and I, we see ourselves as God sees us. And that could be the best Christmas gift you ever received for you to receive that this Christmas, for you to get the eyes to see and the ears to hear and the heart to think what God sees and hears and thinks about you. And a prerequisite for all of that, by the way, is a changed life. You have to have that transformative uh, thing happening in your life through a relationship with Jesus. And if you do, let me say it this way, if you do not have an intimate relationship with God, like we said last week, it's impossible to please God. But if you do have an active, life-giving relationship with God, then you are being transformed by the power of Jesus in your life. That is playing out in your life. And you are supernaturally being shaped into the image of Christ. And so we need to make sure, again, what we say and what God says are the same things in our lives. And and so let's take a look at a group of guys where we picked off in the story last week, Luke chapter 2. And uh, Luke chapter 2, the guys that we're going to look at today uh, are not the best group of guys, right? They're shepherds. Last week we we looked at Mary, and and today we're looking at the shepherds. And in Luke chapter 2, some background real quick on the shepherds. In those days, being a shepherd was not the greatest occupation to have, okay? It, it was a lot like in our culture saying you're in a biker gang, okay? And, and, and some of you are in biker gangs, and I'm not judging you today. I'm just saying there's an impression of what someone in a biker gang is like today. In fact, I, one of my new friends is in a biker gang. In fact, he told me he would have been at that thing, you know, a year ago or in the spring, whenever that was, in Waco where that shooting happened, had he not had to preach that day. And, and you know, and he's ministering in this biker gang and sharing Jesus with people in this biker But you, you and I get the connotation, okay? And so if you're in a biker gang, don't circle the building today and, and, and don't line up or write me emails. Okay, listen, my staff cannot respond to all the emails I get for the things I say. And, and uh, 
They just can't, okay? And we can't hire people to do that. So just, just give us benefit of the doubt. If you talk for 45 minutes a week in front of people, you're going to say something that somebody doesn't like. And it is not my goal to be politically correct. It is my goal to feed you the Word of God and make you laugh. And sometimes that's at somebody's expense. And, and, and so as we move through this and we walk through this, let, let's just give each other benefit of the doubt. So biker gang, okay? You're a shepherd, and you're in the Bible, and this is not a good occupation to have, right? People thought that you were dirty and dangerous and a thief and a cheat because most shepherds were dangerous and thieves and cheats, and shepherds were certainly shunned by society and rejected by religion, right? And because they spent so much time outside, they were, according to temple law, unclean, right? They were unclean, so they could never, ever, ever go to the temple, which is the opposite of all opposites, right? That the very ones raising the sheep who who were sacrificed in the temple in order to give people entree into the presence of God could never go. Now, let's pick this up in Luke chapter 2 and verse 8. And as we look at this passage uh, together, uh, let's begin reading in verse 8. And see what the Word of God has to say today. And there's some words I want you to circle, okay? Uh, That night, circle the word night in your Bible. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding the flocks of sheep. Interesting fact that these sheep are watched at night, which means they are special sheep. And this is a special field. And it's just outside of, uh, in between Jerusalem and Bethlehem, okay? When you read the historical context and look at the story, that's where this is, which is where the temple sheep were raised. Normal sheep were put in a cave at night, and someone would guard uh, the entrance to the cave and protect the sheep. Special sheep that were intended for sacrifice were never permitted to go into the caves. They were watched out in the field and pastured all night long, which meant there were special shepherds who had to stay with them and babysit them in their slumber party every single night. And and so these sheep are special sheep. And so these shepherds, again, are watching the lambs that will be sacrificed at the temple, but they weren't even allowed to go to the temple. And be a part of this process. And as you go through this, I want you to take a note of a few things. We circled the word night. Now I want you to circle the phrase staying in the fields and draw a line between them. Because literally in the Greek language, here's what that says. They had a house outside. They had a house outside. Now I just got to tell you the truth. Uh, It sounds like camping to me, right? Because I I don't like camping, by the way. In fact, we were riding the car last night, Titus, and and Titus is one of my boys, both my boys' friend. And and last night we were on our way over to their house, and we were talking about survival. We were talking about something. They said, yeah, Titus made this blow dart gun that, you know, he's shooting uh, thumbtacks out of PVC pipe and and sticking it into the wall. And my boys are like, that's awesome. And and one of them goes, yeah, Titus is really good at making stuff and, 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 and survival. And so then they got into this conversation of who would you want to be with you if you were in the wilderness to survive. And this is what they said, either Titus Rose or Bear Grylls. That's what they said, pretty high compliment for Titus right there, right? And and, and so I'm not into this deal. And for me, I'm like, we left that. I'm not into Mary Ingalls and all of that. We we have progressed, and we should live in progression, right? And and so going back to that, I don't understand that. People that do that, right, they go get in a a sleep bag, sleep on a rock and all that. I I just say, so if I'm going to go camping, I want a nice cabin, right? And Big Cedar Lodge will do (laughs) if we're going to go camping. And if we're going to go in a tent, let me just tell you some things about the tent. I got to be able to stand up in it because I'm not crouching down all the time, right? And I need a full-size bed 
Tempur-Pedic preferably, right? And if it's summer, I want an AC. If it's winter, I want a heater. I, give me a stove, if at all possible, right? And must is a shower. And I'm not talking about the KOA shower where we all go share it and walk on that concrete with funguses on it. I'm not interested in, in that, okay? And so, and I want you to have a shower as well. But these guys are sleeping outdoors, and they are roughing it. And I want you to see how Luke is drawing attention to the opposites in the text. A house is outdoors, right? Which fits Christmas because Christmas is a holiday of opposites. We put lights outside and trees inside. That's what we do at Christmas. Look at, look at verse 9. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them. Literally what that says is stood next to them. The angel stood next to them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. The radiance of the Lord's glory. Listen, that's like the brightness of God. It was like noonday in the middle of the night, right? That it's the middle of the night. It's pitch black dark, and suddenly, bam, right? It's as bright as midday, as if the sun is right next to them. And so watch the opposites again. Night, dark, day, bright, and now he's saying night bright, right? And he's standing next to them. There's another opposite playing out in this text. The Bible goes on to say they were afraid. In fact, the Bible says they were terrified. Wouldn't you be terrified, right? I mean, we would all be terrified in that moment. They were, they were watching their sheep. Probably only a couple of them are awake. They're taking turns. The rest of them are sleeping. And when all of a sudden this angel is standing next to him and begins to have a conversation. In verse 10 it says, the angel reassured him and said, don't be afraid. Which, you know, if I'm that shepherd, I'm saying that's easy for you to say, angel. You knew you were coming. I didn't know you were coming, and, and I'm surprised and shocked by you coming. And, and, and so the angel is now standing next to them, but notice the Bible says they were terrified, but the angel said, don't be afraid. See the opposites that are playing out here. And he said, I bring you good news that will bring you great joy to all people. It's important to see that the angel is bringing good news because sometimes when the angel showed up, it wasn't good news. It meant it's your time, right? And we're going. And, and, and we're, you're done here on earth. We're going somewhere. He was there to take you to his home or maybe to somebody else's home, right? And, and seeing the angel wasn't always a good sign, but he, he reassures them and says, I've got good news for you. Relax, guys. This is good news, really good news. In fact, it's the best news. Let's keep reading. Verse uh, 11. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem. Bethlehem in the Hebrew means uh, Beit Lahem. It's the house of bread, which is where we get the bread of life from, Jesus, right? And, and so he's coming out of the house of bread in the city of David. Now, why is he bringing that to the attention of the shepherds? Because David was a shepherd too, right? And so if you're a shepherd in, in, in Old Testament days and people look down on you because you are a shepherd and you're not liked, who is going to be your favorite character in the Bible? It's going to be King David right? because he's a shepherd too. And you can draw this parallel with him. And in verse 12 it says, And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Now, let me just say this to you culturally and biblically, historically in this text. The idea and the concept of the Messiah, that was not a new idea in this day. 
That, that idea had been going on for a long, long, long time. It was an old, old, old idea. It was a prophecy. And the moment that all of Israel, religious and secular, were looking forward to, they were looking forward to this Messiah. And the Messiah literally means the anointed one. That's what that word means. The anointed one or the appointed one. And so here's the anointed one or the appointed one to do what? To lead his people, right? To punish their enemies, to bring freedom uh, to the land. And over the years and years and years, there were plenty of messiahs, right? There were plenty of them. People who were anointed by God. People who were appointed by God to lead the people of God. But that's not who they were waiting for. They were waiting for the messiah. And they were waiting for the day of the Lord. The time when the anointed one of all anointed ones would come and finally free the people of Israel and lead them forever and ever and ever. And that's what they're waiting for in this text, right? But what do the angels do? They tell the shepherds the messiah is here. Yes, it is truth. Yes, he is here. The Messiah is here. And you will know it to be true when you see him wrapped up in swaddling clothes. And he will be in a manger. Doesn't even have a bed to lay in. He, he's in the trough of an animal, right? And, and the Messiah is not just a little baby. And the Messiah is not just so weak that, you know, he can't even really move himself. But he didn't even get a real bed. He's laying in a food trough for an animal. And again, we're seeing the opposites play out. What the people expected and thought was laid up next to what was really happening. The Bible goes on to say in verse 13 that suddenly an angel, the angel, was joined by a vast horde of others, the armies of heaven. And what were they doing? They were praising God, right? They were praising God in heaven. Now here's another opposite I want you to see armies, what do armies do? Armies come to wage war, right? But these armies weren't coming to wage war. They were coming to bring peace, which is what they were saying. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. To who? To those with whom God is pleased. Peace on earth. Now, where do you see that kind of change happening in the Bible? The only place you see that happening is heaven, and that's exactly what is playing out here is that heaven has come to earth. Heaven has come down to earth, and heaven came to earth. And what message did they bring when they came to earth? They brought the message of glory to God. They brought the message of peace on earth. They brought the message of grace to the people of God. And God was sending heaven to earth in the form of his only son, Jesus Christ. And he was sending his glory and his radiance down to earth. Why? Because we couldn't get to him. We couldn't climb up. We couldn't reach him. And he saw everything that we had tried. And every time we had attempted to free ourselves from our bondage and from our sin, we failed miserably. And we could not get reconciled to him. So he did what we couldn't do, and he bridged the gap. And it was the darkest of dark nights. And yet it was bright as noon and as bright as day. And they were broken and worthless and thieves and cheats, but he called them favored. And he sent his army not to wage war, but to proclaim peace. Look back at verse 14 again. We just read it a moment ago. He said, peace on earth to those with whom God is 
pleased. Peace on earth. That there would no longer be a divide between God and us. Now peace has come to earth. And once we were far from him, we didn't seek him. We were lost in our sins. But God said, I am putting an end to this thing. We declared war on God. We walked away from God. We did the Heisman toward God. We, we, we were making an enemy out of God. But now God is proclaiming peace on us and peace on earth. And, and the question is, who gets that peace? And who has that kind of peace? And the answer is in the Scripture. It says, with those whom God is pleased in. Which, by the way, is the exact same Greek word we looked at last week. Favored. Grace. Charis. C-H-A-R-I-S is how you put that in English. Charis. Some people say charis. And he brought peace to those who were favored and who had received his grace. And who is that? We saw it last week. Those who have grace are those who believe. When you believe, you become the recipient of grace. And when you believe in God, we enter into a relationship with him. But we also need to believe what God says about us. Instead of looking to what the world says, what what our own minds say, or what other people are saying, when we believe God, we put our full trust in him, and we believe what he says about us. We believe what he sees in, in us. And no one, not one person, would have chosen these shepherds and that group of people to be the messenger for their company or for their product. Product or, or for their good news. No one would have looked around and said, those guys, those are the ones we want. No one would have done that. But, and say, hey, let's let everybody tell, uh, let's let them tell everybody about the Messiah. But God, listen, God saw something in them that no one else saw, including them. They didn't even see it, which I want you to write this down. God sees things in us that are impossible for us to see ourselves. God sees in us things that are impossible for us to see in ourselves. In other words, you can mark it down. God sees who we are. He does. He sees everything. But he can also see us as we can be. He can see us as we should be. And he can see us as we will be. In other words, he sees potential all the way to passion. He sees gifts and he sees abilities that he has given us. He sees all the people that we can impact with our testimony. And although it's impossible for us to see ourselves, he sees it. And and today on the Battle Creek campus, we're going to give toys to 5,000 children and their families. 5,000. Now, just do the math on that for a second, okay? Take all of those children and just say they have siblings and say they have parents and say they have aunts and uncles or friends or neighbors or whatever. Just multiply that out as many times as you think is reasonable in this math and think of the impact that you will have on this city today. And here's what we're praying. Here's how we pray. We're praying that today we would receive people as Jesus would receive people and we give dignity to people and and we watch what God says in the Scripture that he can do, that he takes ashes and he He gives beauty for it, that he takes what the locust devoured and he restores it multiple times over, and we bring dignity in it. That's why we give the presents to the parents and let the parents give the presents to the kids whenever and however they see fit, because we want the parents to be the hero in the home, and that's why we do this the way we do it, and we are praying, we are praying, we are praying for people to enter from one kingdom to another kingdom today. 
fact, I want you to pray with me. I, this is the, how I felt led to pray this week. I, I've been praying, God, the, the obvious is true. God, would you uh, save hundreds and hundreds of people today? The, the second is that, God, would you allow us to watch in one day over 100 people be baptized? Praying for that. Do you know that 99.99% of churches in the world will not baptize 100 people in one year? And I'm praying, and you're praying, and I'm asking you to join me in praying right now for the rest of this day that we would see 100 people follow the Lord in believers' baptism in one single day. But I am also praying, and this is the big, big, big prayer that I'm praying. I'm praying today that God would give supernatural relational connections with people to people. And it may be the people helping them park the cars. It may be the people helping them walk in the door and giving them a high five. It may be the guests and the ushers. It may be the people on the stage performing. It may be those of us who are speaking. It may be those who are personal shoppers. It may be those who are delivering presents to the, uh, to the trunks of cars. It, whoever and everyone in between, that God would take these people who are our guests today, and there's a thousand of us who will be the host, right? And, and that's the way it is all the time, that those of us who go to church here every Sunday, we have thousands of hosts and some guests, right? And sometimes we get that screwed up in our minds, that we think we're the guest and it's all about me and it ought to be the way I want it and it ought to be loud enough or not loud enough or it ought to be this color or that color or he ought to say this or not say that. And we think it's all about us when the truth of the matter is every Sunday thousands of us are hosts to the few guests or sometimes hundreds of guests that come and we ought to host them with great hospitality, the hospitality of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And, and today I'm praying that God would create supernatural relational connections with men and women and boys and girls who come on this place so that they'll want to come back next week. So that they'll say, hey, you have a place at downtown? I'm going to downtown. I live in that area. Or you have something at Midtown? I'll go over there. Or Battle Creek, this is not far from where I go to school or where my children I go to daycare. We will be a part of this and that we will get to enter into supernatural relationships with men and women and boys boys and girls, who will not only come to know Christ today, but will grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ and who he is in their lives. And God speaks into impossible situations and impossible lives, and he makes them possible. That's good news. And he takes shattered lives, and he turns them into testimonies and stories of grace and truth. And he takes the impossible, and he makes it a reality, and he gives us true miracles all the time. And the greatest miracle, by the way, is the greatest miracle that he does in you and in me. The change inside of our lives is the greatest miracle of God Almighty. And God speaks into the impossible and into existence, uh, things that could not be, and he makes them be, right? That's his job. That's what God does. It's what he's done from the very beginning of time. Write this verse down. This, and, and this is, I memorized it in KJV, so I'm going to give it to you in KJV today, okay? I don't always jump to the KJV because I don't understand most of it, but I'm going to give it to you because this is the way I memorize this first. Romans chapter 4, verse 17 in the King James. Here's what it says. God, who gives life to the dead. That's enough right there. I mean, God gives life to the dead. What, what, what more do you need to tell people about Jesus Christ? Hey, I was dead, and now I'm alive. And God did that. You want to meet him, right? How easy is this process? We complicate this thing to the nth degree. God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which are not as if they are. That's what God does. And that's the power of God. In other words, he looks at how things are and he realizes they're not and they're not as they should be and then he merely speaks 
And it takes care of the issue, and it takes care of the problem, it takes care of the dilemma, right? You go all the way back to creation. What did God do at creation? In Genesis chapter 1, what does he do? He speaks. He says, let there be light, and bam, there's light. He says, let there be land, and bam, there's land. And and then he says, let there be birds and fish and animals and trees, and all of it became, it was not there, he spoke it there, and now it is there. That's what God does, and he does that in our lives. And if God can make something out of nothing, which is what the Bible says, says he did in creation, right? Creation ex nihilo, which means he created from nothing. You and I, some of you are creatives, but you're not creating something from nothing. You're creating something from something. What God did is see there was nothing, and he spoke, and out of nothing, he made something. And if God can make something out of nothing, what can he do with you? Think through that for a moment. If he can make something out of nothing, what can he do from you? And you may not be the sharpest knife in the drawer, but you're not nothing. Right? It's a big, big head start on what God has done and can do. And what could he do with you? What could he do with your brokenness? What could he do with your past? What what could he do with your hurts? It's incredible what God can do. And you think it's impossible, but God knows it's possible because he's thinking of you. Another biblical example is Abraham, right? What did God do with Abraham? God shows up and looks at him and says, hey, Abraham, you're righteous because you believe me. Righteous? I mean, you read through Abraham's story. I mean, there, he does a few things that none of us would call righteous, right? But God said, you're righteous because you believed in me. And then God said, hey, Abraham, you're the father of many nations. Now, just in case you don't know this Bible story, when God said that, Abraham had zero children, and he was 90 years old, which is a little late to start, right, on being the father of many nations. But God looked into the impossible and into an impossible life, and he said, it's not so impossible. That God called Abraham the father of many nations, and bang, it happened. And today we sing the song, Father Abraham, right? What what, what about King David? God looked at David and said, you're the apple of my eye. Really? The apple of my eye, David? There are a few things that we could call David other than the apple of God's eye, right? We could call him adulterer. We could call him murderer. We could call him liar. We could call him thief. And all of those things are true given the details of his life. But God looked at his life and said, you're the apple of my eye. And God looked in Luke 2 at those shepherds, and, and others saw them as dirty, rotten scoundrels, but God saw them as the first messengers of salvation. He saw him as the first evangelist of the good news. Go back to that passage again, and let's, let's read a couple more verses. Jump down to verse 15. And it said, When the angel had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And they hurried. In other words, they couldn't wait to the village, and they found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger, just like the angel had said it would be. In verse 17, after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. I I would encourage you to underline the words told everyone, because that's our job, right? We're the messengers of Christmas today. We're the messengers of the good news, and who do we tell? We tell everyone. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. 
The shepherds went back to their flock, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and all they had seen. It was just as the angel had told them. Now, why were all of these people so astonished? I'm going to tell you why they were so astonished. Because those shepherds were the living embodiment of a miracle of God, of God making the impossible a reality. Listen, they had to say, what? What did you say, shepherds? Wait a minute. The angels told you about the Messiah? Hold on, 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 hold on a second. God said that you have found favor with him and that you have pleased him? And the result, net, net result, logically of that had to be, well, if that's the case, then God can do anything. Right, which is the message of God, that what the people saw with their eyes and what they thought to be true was the complete opposite of what God saw and what God thought, the opposite. And what they had always understood was now being flipped upside down. And what they had always said about others and what they'd always said about themselves was coming untrue. We use the phrase, it's coming true all the time. I I think there are things that need to be coming untrue in your life and my life as the child of God. That what we think and what we see and what we hear and what we feel about ourselves, it, it would come untrue as we embrace what God says and thinks and hears about us, right? We, and, and we do this all the time. We say stuff we don't mean. We say stuff we don't believe. I got a text this just a few weeks ago from, from my friend sitting right here on the front row. said, hey, you said this a few weeks ago, and I know you didn't mean that, and, and I, I hope that you'll you know, think through that. And, and it was exactly right. In fact, as I got that text, I was walking out the door of the, of the hotel room down to the event in Egypt where I was about to preach, and I said, Lord, that's not true. I said that about myself. It's not true. I, don't, I confess that that's not true. I'm going to walk in the truth, and I'm not going to walk in the lies. And anything that I may have confessed over me, God, would you renounce that? And would you take that and walk that away from my life? Because it needs to come untrue. But we say things at times that we don't mean, and we say things at times we don't really believe. But when it comes to who we are in Christ, we need to get this right. We need to get it right. And, and, And what we hear about ourselves and what we say about ourselves and what we see about ourselves needs to be the same thing that God says and sees, right? That God can see things we don't see. He's God. That's his role. And when we speak into our lives, sometimes we get it wrong. And we need to start getting it right as the children of God. And how do we get it right? Well, we got to get really, really, really close to God. And we got to lay our ear on his chest and listen to his heartbeat for us so that we can say what he says about us, so that we can repeat what he says. By the way, I know I'm speaking the will of God when I'm speaking the word of God. And the very words of God. And it's an incredibly important process in our lives for us to speak the word of God, for us to be in the word of God. You've heard me say thousands of times, I can't read your Bible for you. Right? I, I can't do that. You've got to read your own Bible. You've got to meditate on your own Bible. You've got to memorize your Bible. That's why I spend all the energy and time, by the way, writing this thing every year with these other pastors. In fact, I've spent last week writing the one for 2017. That's what I've been doing this week, is writing the devotional book for not next year, but the next year, because it takes time, and it takes time to process that. But there is power when thousands and thousands of people are reading the same verse of Scripture, right? In fact, this is week 26, Romans 3.23. I just happened 
on the flip to it. We've all sinned. We all fall short of the God being justified freely by his grace. What if thousands and thousands of people recognized on whatever day this is in week 26 next year uh, that my friend Michael Mason wrote in Romans 3.23 that we're all confessing we've been justified by grace. That's who we are. And we walk through the Scripture together. And if you, if you got another tool, great. If you don't have another tool, pick one of these up today. And let's do this together in 2016. Get in the Word. Immerse ourselves in the Word. And believe the Word. And believe what the Word says about us. And it starts with where we see our past. Listen, God doesn't just see our past. He sees our potential. And when we are focused on all the mistakes and all the sins of our past, God has forgiven those mistakes. He's forgiven those sins. And He is looking forward. God is always looking forward forward. He's looking forward, right? And he looks ahead to see who we really can be in him. Remember how we said we open up gifts on Christmas? And we say one thing, but we mean another. I think the potential of that scenario playing out is very possible and very true with you and me opening the gifts that God gives us. That we think one thing and we say something. But God thinks and is saying something else. We, we say little things like this, ah, you know, it's the thought that counts. As if it's a bad thing, right? It's the thought that counts. I got to confess to you, when Meredith gave me that little sleeping bag, I thought, well, it's the thought that counts. She had a fleeting thought on her way out of the dollar store, right? I mean, I, I, it's the thought that counts. To make some excuse for my lousy gift-giving wife, right, of 20 years who couldn't didn't know me at all, right? But she, the truth is she knew me better than I knew me. And, and she knew what I needed and knew what I would use and what I wanted better than I knew what I needed or wanted or used. And we think that's a bad thing to say, hey, it's the thought that counts. But I think God is looking down going, no, 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 you're right. It is the thought that counts. And my thoughts are always on you. And if Jesus were here today, Emmanuel, God with us, with skin on, and he came and sat right next to you in your chair, wherever you're seated at whatever campus you're at or wherever you are online watching, and Jesus sat next to you and he put his arm around you with, with skin on and he took your cheek and he turned it and he looked into your eyes, eyeball to eyeball, what would he say to you? And some of you got all kinds of ideas and guesses as to what he would say. Some of you think he'd be disappointed in me. Some of you think, well, he, he wouldn't even be paying attention to me. Some of you think he wouldn't even notice me. Some, he would be uh, humiliated by me. I mean, you could go on and on the list, but I'm going to tell you what he would say. He would say, hey, last night while you were sleeping, I thought about you billions of times. Billions of times. And the truth is found in the Word in Psalm 139, verse 17, where the psalmist says, How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They can't be numbered. And we say, oh, you shouldn't have. But God says, but you're worth it. I wanted to do this for you. Romans 5, 8, right? God showed his great love for us in that he gave his son. He sent Christ for us while we were still sinners. God has given us the perfect gift at Christmas. He gave us the gift of salvation. And if you're a child of God, and if you're a part of his family, and if you believe in him, then your entire life, life is changed from past to potential. And you need to start speaking that out loud so that you can live it out. Speak the Word of God in your lives. And what God has given you, what's the value in it? In fact, let, let, let me just 
I want you to write this question down because I want you to ponder this one all week. I want you to ponder this question all week, and I want you to think about this, and I want you to wrestle with it all week. What gift has God given me that I've misunderstood the value of? What gift has God given me that I have misunderstood the value of that gift? Right? We see that with our children all the time, right? We see it with our children and their friends all the time. Where we have and live in gift envy, where they want the gifts of their friends or the gifts of their siblings or the gifts of someone else rather than walking in the gifts that they have received, and consequently they miss the value of the gift that they have. And God doesn't give invaluable gifts, right? And so what gift has God given you that you have misunderstood the value of it, that God has given you so many amazing gifts and life and talents and health and and experience, right? Even your mistakes and failures and circumstances, God's grace can turn those things around in your lives. And maybe God allowed you to walk through an impossible situation. Could it be so that he could give you a platform to show off the miracle working power of God Almighty? And maybe God gave you a sleeping bag and you thought, oh, no, right? But God has a plan for that sleeping bag in your life. And you think one thing about the gifts that he's given you, and God's got a whole other idea about what he wants to do with you. And we have to evaluate the gifts that God puts in our lives and in our hands. And it's time for us as the people in the body of Christ to get our thoughts in line with God's thoughts. And we need to see our gifts and our situations the way that God sees them. It'd be a great thing for you to do this holiday season for you to make a list and check it twice. For you to list the gifts that God has placed in your life and for you to list the things in your lives. In fact, it'd be a great exercise for you to list the things you see as disadvantages in your life. You remember that story where a couple of the disciples are walking into the gate beautiful and the beggar was sitting there and he said, hey, give me some money. You remember what they said to him? Silver and gold, I have none. On most days, you would see that as a real disadvantage. The fact that they'd have had it, they may have just given him a quarter. But on that day, they didn't have it. What they saw as a disadvantage led to life change. Silver and gold, I have none. But what I do have, I will give you. And what I have is Jesus. And it led to revival in the whole town as that invalid got up and skipped his way through the temple singing the praises of God. What what do you see as a disadvantage? List them and pray over it and say, God, how do you see this? And what are you doing with this? And ask God to begin to show you what he sees. And ask God to begin to tell you what he says. And to help us think about the things the way that he thinks about the things. What an incredible, valuable thing that would be to the Christmas season. And I know you're like me. I mean, there have been many Christmas seasons where I got all these goals and dreams and aspirations and anticipations of what the holiday season is going to be like. And somewhere around Christmas afternoon, you know, when the NBA games are starting, you feel this sense of letdown and disappointment. And what I'm saying to you, for the children of God, that does not have to be reality. If you would just sit down in the next few days 
and make some goals, some real spiritual goals for this Christmas season. Meredith and I have started this conversation. We haven't finished the conversation, but we started the conversation, and we're, and we're saying, hey, what are our goals this Christmas season? And listen, it has nothing to do with presents. It has everything in the world to do with, hey, X number of times while the kids are out of school, we want to eat dinner around the table. X number of times while the kids are out of school, we want to go to a movie. X number of times we want to get in the car and drive around and look at Christmas lights and have hot chocolate, and we, and we want to spend time together. We want to make memories together, and that's the goal. And when you set those as the goals, you begin to accomplish those things over this season, and the things that really do matter to you take precedent over the things that seem so urgent. And you begin to see the way God sees. And so when we drive by your house, by the way, I, we have a little system. We give one honk to, hey, that's an effort. You know, they put some lights out there. They, you know, they didn't put them straight. They just hung them on a hook, right, you know, from the ground. Didn't even get on a ladder, right? Just throw it up there. Oh, oh, two means, man, that looks pretty good, right? And, and three means, wow, you went all out. You got on a ladder and risked your life, right? And, and, and four means you hired somebody, and it looks great. <laughs> and, and, and we honk at all these things as a family, and then we're building memories. Listen, we need to begin to set goals that God would have as goals for us. And the enemy has us spinning our feet in a wheel, trying to accomplish things we don't really even care about and doing things that we don't really even value, and, and chasing things that we don't even really want. And I think this could be the greatest Christmas ever as the children of God, as we begin to talk to God and talk to our families and talk to our friends about what we really want to do, that God would give us eyes to see and ears to hear all that he sees and all that he says. Let's pray together at every camps. The application today for the believers is so obvious it doesn't even need to be made, right? You, you can make it. The Holy Spirit can make it for you in your life. That you would just begin to pray, God, give me eyes to see and give me ears to hear what you see and what you say. For you to walk through the process of evaluating the gifts God has given you and how you have devalued them rather than exploit them for the things of God. But there's some of you here today, men and women and boys and girls under the sound of my voice at one of our many campuses, or maybe you're watching online, and you have never trusted Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior. And just as we believe and have been praying that today will be the day of salvation on the Battle Creek campus, that thousands of people will hear the gospel, there are some of you today on our campuses that the day of salvation is all about this moment right now for you. And you're the one who needs to turn and trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And if that's you, we're so glad you're here. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And I've said this dozens of times. I can, I can give you words, but I can't give you faith. But if the words of this prayer reflect the attitude of your heart and reflect the will of your life, I believe the Bible teaches that Jesus will step into your life and he'll change your life. He'll change your life life as your Lord and your Savior. There's going to be men and women around you who are going to pray it out loud as an encouragement to you. But if you want to trust Christ today, right where you're seated, would you just pray with me and say, Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. 
And today I confess all of my sin. Jesus, come into my life to be my Lord, my Savior, my forgiver. And the best way that I know how, I turn my back on my sin and I trust you alone, Jesus, to save me. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name we pray. And together we all say, Amen. Would you thank the Lord today for salvation?